It was a godless sound, one of those low-keyed, insidious outrages of nature which are not meant to be. To call it a dull wail, a doomed dragon whine, or a hopeless howl of chorused anguish and stricken flesh without mind would be to miss its most quintessential loathsomeness and soul-sickening overtones. Sounds a lot like the cries of someone who just watched a filmmaker butcher Lovecraft's text. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I am Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 1991's The Resurrected, written by Brent Friedman and directed by Dan O'Bannon. Um, but before we get into the review, we have uh, two things. One of just a very quick apology, obviously. If you pay attention to our Facebook page, it has been a while since we posted anything. Life stuff got in the way, so now what we had were going to do for the second half of July spilled into all of August. You know, it's, it's not important, but, you know, we're, we're, doing, we're doing this late. It's been a while since we put anything out, but we're hopefully back on track but uh hey that's that's what happens when two guys are, are doing a podcast for free on their own time basically um exactly but speaking of two guys doing a podcast for free um that is our next big news is that the cast of cthulhu uh james and i have officially launched a patreon um yeah. hooray yeah we've been talking about doing this for months and by us i mean james and i we haven't mentioned anything out uh out loud in the public sphere about it because we didn't want it to be legally binding in, in internet law i suppose but now we can we can actually say we have launched a patreon patreon.com slash cast cthulhu um and we've got a few different tiers um obviously that i would like to um explain to people so here we go lowest tier five dollars a month that's the innsmouth resident and what are you going to get if you just give us five dollars a month which if you choose just to give us a five dollars a month hey we're grateful. We're grateful for anything that we, that we that we can take because, you know, we've got life stuff going on. It's not free to, to do a podcast between gear and servers and, you know, officials that we have to bribe and pay off uh, for all these certain things. Um, $5 a month as the Innsmouth resident will get you basically um, supplemental episodes, um, some stuff which is not going to get onto the free feed, and also um, modified episodes. And what I mean by that are, you know... James and I will we 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 get we we lose ourselves down down the the rabbit hole of tangents. Wouldn't you say we do that pretty regularly, James? Uh, a little bit, yes. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> um, so on, you know, so those episodes in which we start out with a news item, we get lost down, you know, a rabbit hole of whatever. Um, for a five dollar Innsmouth resident Patreon, you will get those full uncut episodes. Um, if you choose not to give us $5 a month, then you're going to get the, the truncated episode. We're going to cut that stuff out. You're just going to get the discussion on the movie. You're not going to get all the, that special extra goodness that we kind of uh, indulge ourselves in, whether it's um, news of upcoming um, cinematic uh, happenings in the world of H.P. Lovecraft, whether it's a discussion of stupid things that horror filmmakers have said or done, or, you know, a, a, an entirely unrelated conversation about, I don't know, let's say wrestling or comic books or whatever five dollars a month you're gonna get the whole thing the whole kit and caboodle as well as some uh as well as some bonus episodes if you don't choose to do that then you're just gonna get the truncated um just the movie reviews and none of those additional episodes and you might be saying like well what kind of additional episodes are you talking about well mm -hmm. you remember our friend bj Vareau, right james Yes, I do. Of course. Really great guy. Yeah. Um, stuntman, writer-director, Echoes in the Ice was the short film that we interviewed him about. He came on here to talk about Event Horizon. Well, as of 
Tuesday, um, August 10th, or maybe it's Wednesday, August 11th. Either way, this week is the world premiere, online I mean, of his feature film directorial debut, The Return. Um, you know, he, he worked on it uh, before COVID times, um, was very excited about it. Obviously, you know, there were some deals to work out when it came to distribution and COVID kind of delayed stuff. Um, but uh, The Return, um, oh, and I can confirm, Wednesday, August 11th is when it actually uh, is able to be rented and bought online. The premise is, after the death of his father, a brilliant college student returns to his family home where he learns that the horrors from his childhood aren't as dead and gone as he once thought. Um, a cool little what, what you expect to be just a standard haunted house story goes into a, a different direction that I certainly didn't anticipate. So I got to sit down and interview him about the movie, the writing process, the directing process, what it was like, you know, the difference between making a short film and, and kind of making a feature film, his influences, all sorts of fun stuff about that. That is going to be our first Patreon episode if you subscribe as an Innsmouth resident five dollars a month you will get that interview with bj vero and we've got some other stuff cooking where we're going to have some cool interviews and other material down the line that we um hope that you'll certainly um enjoy um and also if you get that interview you can also get there'll be some links as to where you can find the movie where you can listen to uh or, or where you can watch it and just um some general goodness about that but bj vero real good guy real fun guy uh, and also when you're watching that movie see if you can pick out the little references that he he includes in there to other horror films, and even to Lovecraftian stuff is in there as well. I'm not going to spoil it for you. Subscribe, watch the movie, do it yourself. Um, second tier, $10 a month, the uh, Cthulhu Cultist. What do you get in that? Well, you get everything we just talked about. You're going to get those full uncut episodes. You're going to get those supplemental interview and other episodes. And on top of that, you're going to get some fan requests. And what I mean by that is, James and I have a little shared Google Doc in which we, whenever we think of a, an idea of like, let's talk about this movie, where can we find this one? We kind of regularly keep that updated. It's only been shared between the two of us. For $10 a month, not only are you going to get everything we just talked about, you're going to get access to that shared Google Doc so that you can tell us, hey, I want you guys to watch and discuss this movie. So, you know, there's still a lot of stuff on there that we intend to get around to at some point. We haven't gotten to Castle Freak yet. When will we? Yeah. Well, that could... That depends on you, basically. Yeah, um, both castle, both castle freaks too. You know, there's yeah, two of them now. <laughs> yeah, there are there are officially two castle freaks. One of which is, I believe, um, Barbara Crampton had produced to kind of launch her um, H.P. Lovecraft cinematic universe, if you will. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, it wasn't great and didn't do so well. But hey, um, you can determine that. You have control over. Like, I want you guys to do this one, or maybe you want to suggest a, a movie that we can talk about. You can do that for $10 a month as a Cthulhu cultist. And now I know what you're thinking. Well, that's probably it, right? Nah. <laughs> mm -mm. No. There's one final tier. Final tier, the Yog sothoth Gatekeeper, $20 a month. And I know what you're thinking. Listen, times are tough out there. Work has been hard. There's all sorts of shit. I've just been spending a year and a half indoors. I don't really know if I want to be spending 20 bucks on something. I get that 20 bucks may not seem like a lot at first, but it can be. It certainly can be a lot for two random guys in New York City creating a podcast about H.P. Lovecraft cinematic adaptations. I get that. So, if you are generous enough to sign up to be a Yogg-Sothoth gatekeeper, this is what you get. You get everything we just talked about so far. You get the full uncut episodes. 
you get the supplemental interview episodes. You also have some say over what films you want us to discuss in the future. On top of that, oh, I should also mention the patron shoutouts for the $10 tier and the $20 tier. If you contribute to that, we'll sing your praises on this podcast. We'll say anything you want us to say about you, whether it's real or made up, whatever. We will we will sing your praises to the high heavens. The old ones will hear how great you are from the lips of James and I. But here's the final thing as well. $20 a month will also get you whether it's on an upcoming film we haven't discussed yet, or whether it's on a film we already have discussed, we're going to do a commentary track for you. Mm. James and I are going to sit down, we're going to either watch The Call Girl of Cthulhu, if that's the one you want, or we'll go back and watch the original Reanimator, or uh, Beyond Reanimator, if that's your thing. Um, (laughs) I I don't know why it would be your thing, but if that's their thing, then by all means, you have control over that. We will do a full length film commentary track for you five dollars a month insmith resident ten dollars a month cthulhu cultus twenty dollars per month the yogs of thought gatekeeper that's our patreon whatever you you know whatever you sign up for hey it's it's more than what james and i currently have going on and i i also think like a lot of ideas we keep coming up with there's going to be a lot of little extra little flair depending Mm -hmm. on each you know each tier, we'll keep coming up with new stuff. So, yeah, it'll be wor- it'll be worth the money. We'll 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 be making sure that you'll always want to renew and and keep subscribing to us. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we you know we 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 don't do a podcast in the vacuum. We do a podcast because there is a community out there, a, a community of of enthusiastic filmmakers and Lovecraft fans that we like being a part of. You know, uh, we we're it's not a large group. We haven't infiltrated the White House. We're not the Illuminati. <laughs> But we know we know that there's a lot of people out there like you who who like this podcast who are dedicated to, you know, keeping this community going. And so we hope that 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 you are interested in that. You know, it can be as little as five dollars a month. It can be as much as twenty dollars a month. Either way, uh, we got some um, exciting stuff coming up on the horizon. Some uh, return of some um, past friends that we have met along the way, and maybe um some new friends that uh, that you have not been in- introduced to yet. But that's that's what we got. That's our big news. Patreon.com slash CastCthulhu. That's C-A-S-T-C-T-H-U-L-H-U. CastCthulhu is creating podcasts on Patreon.com. Um, and yeah, that's that's our that's our big news. So certainly by the time you are listening to this episode, the first one, the first Patreon episode in which we have we are interviewing BJ Vero about his feature-length debut, the return will be out there. Should also mention uh, the return. The recipient of the best feature film uh, prize at the 2020 HP Lovecraft Film Festival, which he is—he's quite proud of, and and by all rights, uh, he should be. Um, yeah. That's a big accomplishment. So, I guess we've gotten that out of the way. So, James, why don't we talk about Dan O'Bannon's yes. um, *The Resurrected* from uh, 1991? Now, this is not the first adaptation of *The Case of Charles Dexter Ward* that we've done. Of course, that was *The Haunted Palace*, which we, yeah. you know, have done in the past. Um, that one produced by uh, and directed by Roger Corman um, and, you know, stealing the title from uh, a Poe story, even though had uh, the story had nothing to do with Poe. Um, no. <laughs> but this one, um, you know, this one is a lot more faithful, I'd say, and accurate to the text of the case of Charles Dexter Ward, whereas the original one took a little bit of liberties. Um, but we both enjoyed The Haunted Palace. 
Yeah, um, it was a fun little romp, as they call them. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's an accurate descriptor, I'd say. This one, um, a little bit different, um, at least in for for my in in my mind. And now we we did we did some background on the story itself. I won't re I won't revisit that or relitigate that here. Um, right. One thing that I just want to uh, remind everyone, and I will link to this in the show notes as well. Um, the Charles Dexter Ward House was inspired by a real life house, um, the Halsey House on One Forty Prospect Street in Providence. Um, which I've been to, not inside, I've been outside of, but when you do the H.P. Lovecraft walking tour around Providence, which I highly recommend, that is one of the stops along the way. Um, it's a really cool, old, huge house, um, but th- there's a picture of it that, I, that I've that i linked to in, in the show notes. So you can kind of get a sense, when you reread the story, you think of Charles Dexter Ward's house, you will think of the real-life um, Halsey house. But a little background on the film itself, both Friedman and O'Bannon had actually developed um, the property separate from each other, um, and so Friedman got sole writing credit, though the script did incorporate some of O'Bannon's ideas. The original title for The Resurrected was The Ancestor, but it was changed um, to The Resurrected when the studio recut and sort of altered the film for the theatrical release. The theatrical release was very short-lived, June 1st, 1991, until um, it was sort of released then direct-to-video on April of the following year. It's actually still very hard to find outside of a physical copy. I know, you know, James has yeah. one. Uh, did you find Did you find yours? I know you were looking for it yeah, for a while. Yeah, no, I did actually. It's funny. I, I did find my copy. It was in one of my storage boxes. I was. It was the last box I looked in, too. I was like, <laughs> where is this copy? Where is the resurrected? Like, But, yeah, luckily I found it within other murky, murky videos. And, yeah, I mean, I, the Blu-ray, like, before we even go on, the Blu-ray is, is a really... Even if, you know, even if you're not a fan of the film per se, which I think we might have a feeling <laughs> where, you, where you're at, mm-hmm. uh, while I like the film, the, the Blu-ray, they really went above and beyond. Ew. Like, actually more so than a lot of, like, bigger releases, you would think. Like, they actually have a great interview with S.T. Joshi talking mm. about the whole thing. They, they even have Chris Sarandon talking about the role. They have Richard Band talking about the music, which again, I noticed that a lot of films we do, Richard Band does the music for. <laughs> that does like, seem to be a common denominator. Right? A lot of it's, them. it's like he has like the love, like every day, Reanimator from Beyond, and I think one or two other ones which we've covered. It's like, oh, Richard Band, okay, mm-hmm. I guess. And sometimes you assume, oh, it must be produced by Charles Band, but this wasn't. This is like the Scotty Brothers or Scotty Brothers, which were was a a music company. Hmm. that produced this film and then this was their final film and then they went out of business um again kind of why i didn't really have a big um, theatrical release it was kind of like in and out and relegated to straight you know directed video at that time which at that i mean in the early 90s directed video wasn't like like a, a shameful thing per se sure you know yeah, yeah. like like you know that it's become the the mindset now a lot of great horror films were directed video because you know hell it's hard it's i mean hell to this day it's hard to be in in theaters so especially with streaming now and all that stuff it would get but like yeah this the release from screen factory is is a great release like it's like much more packed than i even assumed and you know they have the special effects guy talking about some of those great special effects in the movie that we'll talk about but yeah Mm -hmm. That, al- that alone is is like great like the blu-ray is really again like we joked about it, it's it's hard to find streaming at all unless you want to pay you know like i think like ten dollars to rent it yeah it's the the i i can't even i, I think i i've closed it because the the 
the link that I had watched it on, you sent it to me. I don't even remember where it was from. It was split into two halves. Those two halves were very low quality, and every five minutes were interrupted by an ad break. So, yes. But I didn't want to blind buy something I likely would have no, maybe no. only watched one time. But, I mean, that it is interesting. Like, Scream Factory does real good work. Um, yeah. and, and I guess especially a movie like this, which has somewhat of a, I don't want to say devoted cult following, but we were talking off mic that any time I've seen lists of, like, the mm-hmm. best H.P. Lovecraft film adaptations, this is always on it. Always, yeah, and, always. If it's, it's, like, either, like, high up there or, like, in the, the bottom ten. But it's always in that top ten of, like, tons of people's lists. Yeah, yeah. So And so the fact that this was this was kind of cut short from its release and the, and the fact that there's probably a story behind it is actually interesting that they dig into it, including the, the S.G. Josie intro that you were talking about, which we'll get into in, in a little bit when we talk about yeah. the, the film itself. But one other thing, um, a in terms of its reception from the book Lurker in the Lobby, A Guide to the Cinema of H.P. Lovecraft from Andrew Maglior and John Streisick, which uh, I also quoted this same book in The Unnameable, I'm beginning to think, me and these guys are on different wavelengths because they describe this book as, or, or this film as the best serious Lovecraftian screen adaptation to date with a solid cast, decent script, inventive direction, and excellent special effects that do justice to one of Lovecraft's darker tales. I agree with one of those things. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, agree with, uh, I agree with, like, more than one, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will agree that I think I, I think the special effects are absolutely wonderful, and I remember thinking when I was watching, I'm like, I gotta ask James, who is this special effects guy? Does he have a story about who this guy is? I, I mean, I do. It's um, if I remember correctly, it's uh, I think it's Todd Master mm-hmm. or Todd Master. I'm trying to remember exactly, but he like, what's crazy though is, I mean, he does like the little interview and stuff and talks about doing these doing these things like with really really like you know not not the most money in the world and but he also had a really great supporting crew that mm. did all like the prosthetics you know like and when you see some of these special effects like you know a little not not that it's wonky but a lot of it's like you know stop motion too and it's like this weird to me it actually makes it creepier when mm. it's like kind of moving like very blurry at yeah. some points but mm. I mean, like, you had, like, you know, specific people just working with the head and, like, working with the body. And then I think one of the, um, I'm trying to think what else, you know what else he did? If I remember, yeah, he, like, did everything from, you know, like, it's funny. He started off, like, this is, like, one of his first films, and he went on to do, like, Slither. He helped with the makeup department for James Gunn's Slither movie. Oh, wow, okay. Um, Fido which was the really fun... Oh, Billy Connolly? Billy Connolly, which mm-hmm. I actually got to sit next to Billy Connolly at that screen uh, advanced screening of that film, which was <laughs> really weird because I knew who Billy Connolly was. And this is a little side note, this is one of the things you get on one of these episodes on our Patreon. Mm-hmm. I sit down, and I'm eating some popcorn, and I'm really excited because, like, oh, this is cool. Like a zombie film, but it like, looks like an old... Like it looks like from the 50s because it's like the aesthetic for it. And all of a sudden... A guy, like guy with his, you know, Irish accent, asks, "Is anyone sitting there next to me?" I go, "Oh no, no, sir, you can." And I look up, and it's Billy Connolly with his wife, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" So of course, it made it more fun and also almost awkward because I'm like, "Oh god, I have to like, like, what if I don't find it great?" Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I, I love the film, so it worked. But yeah, like, funny enough, um, Masters, um, the um, 
special effects guy. Also was the uh, male nurse who I believe gets his head ripped off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that's him. But yeah, he. I mean, he's still working today. He does a lot of TV now, mm. but I mean, hell, like you know, he did stuff for the Blair Witch remake slash new film in the series. Oh, the the 2016. Uh, yes. When yeah, was that? 2016. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and the the Belko experiment, which again. James Gunn tied in. Mm-hmm. She works with him a lot. You know, even stuff like, you know, Robocop, which wasn't great, the remake, but it, the, the special effects look good in that film. So he's, you know, he's he's a guy that works out there. I mean, hell, he worked on Fringe, and Fringe is one of my favorite series <laughs> okay. of all time. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But yeah, so he's great. He does a little great interview there talking about it. But like, one of the creatures is also played by uh, the um, um, little person actor, Deep Roy. Oh um, yeah, the, uh, he he was know, the, he was all of the Oompa Loompas and yes, uh, Willy I'm Wonka. Glad, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you met. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I know Deep Roy from an old old episode of um, Doctor Who from the 70s. Oh really? Um, Talons of the Talons of Wang Chiang. He okay. played little puppet that's actually alive. He's actually like a living being, oh, okay. but like, mm-hmm. but um, I don't always suggest that episode. While it's a great story. Um, luckily, I, I'm glad the BBC now puts a little warning before the episode because it's okay. very racist. Yes, okay. Um, it's, yeah, you have, when you have a white person playing the main Asian character with special effects to make his eyes look, sli- yeah. Oh, boy. Very bothersome, that's yeah. all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. While it's, while it's a favorite story of mine, oof, no, no, guys, it was wrong then and it's even worse now, so. <laughs> that's, that's. That's bad. Yeah, Deep Roy. Yeah, he was he was um, all the Oompa Loompas in um, Tim Burton's um, Charlie and Chocolate Factory. He was uh, also in uh, Big Fish. Um, yes. And yeah. and, uh, and uh, an episode of uh, of the X Files, my favorite show of all time. A later really? show, I think, like a, a season seven or eight. Um, uh, it's not it's not a great episode. The very few in those later seasons are, but uh, but that's that was my earliest exposure to him when I was when I was young. Actually, I think my first exposure to him was in the Neverending Story. He played Teeny Weeny in that, the little like, like one of the little guys in that film. So that's the one where where the horse dies, right? Oh yes. That's, okay, yes. I've only seen that one once. One of the most depressing things ever, Atreyu. You yep. know, yeah, that's right. Um, my God, yeah. And then a, a, a you know screamo metal band came out from that name. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And I, I had oh, yeah. one of their albums back in high school. So did I. And um, that's probably the last one I had. So. Yeah, but okay, well, that's that's a that's really cool. Um, for a side note, that Blair Witch 2016 I think is a lot better than people give it credit for. Same. Do I you, agree with that. Do you think it's aliens? Do I think it's aliens? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like it, it's how I feel about another. Like, there's a a, a Bigfoot film around that time. I think it's um ex- exists and it's like it's a. Bigfoot movie, but also aliens. So it's like that must have been a thing in the water around the mid to mid twenty tens. It's like a horror film that's like one thing, and then like aliens. I because I, I, I just remember that there's a sequence at the end where they're in the house and you see like lights that seem to be kind of either rising or falling, and that real quick shot of whatever that thing is yeah. in the house. And I'm like, and and I just remember thinking in the theater like, if this is aliens, I am fully on board. But I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for anything that j- once again talked about the X Files. Um, my, my favorite installment of the VHS, uh, VHS franchise is the, you know, the alien slumber party, oh. you know, that, that's, you know, so if you can do it well, because that's the thing, aliens is it's sort of like, I can't, we can't even say 
zombies, but maybe nowadays aliens are sort of like werewolves where like we were obsessed with them for a while and now we're kind of like, eh, now it's kind of cheesy or they're really only included unless there's a, a gimmick or like a slant to them. Um, and, right. you, and you know, what are some of the best like alien movies? I mean, fire in the sky, I guess, which like is even in, in that story, I guess has turned out to be complete bunk. Um, yeah, uh, Fire in the Sky. Uh, another another one, kind of along those lines, is Communion, which with, is uh, weird with Christopher yeah, Walken. It's, yeah, it, yeah, it's 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 fucking weird. Yeah, mm. that's that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> um, it's not, well, Signs, I guess, is an alien movie. No, yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, anyway, we've we've already see. And here's the thing: if you don't do the the five dollars a month, um, you're not gonna hear this. We're 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 gonna cut this kind of stuff out. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So the Resurrected. Um, I guess, uh, James, you had, you had seen this one before. This is my first time. Um, so I guess what, you know, what would you, I I can't even say what were you expecting. You'd seen this movie before, but what did you remember about this before rewatching it for, for this episode? Yeah, no, it's funny. Um, I'll be honest. It it had been so long. Like the last time I saw this was on videotape. Okay. Okay. So, and I'm talking about actually going to a rental store to rent the videotape. Not like a lot of people nowadays, buying video, old VHS for way too much money sure. for shoddier um, full screen, you know, versions of the film. Um, it, it was like always in the back of my head. I, cause being, you know, loving the movie Fright Night and Prince's Bride, mm. loving Chris Sarandon a lot, you know, like sure. being a, being a huge Chris Sarandon fan. But for some reason, like in retrospect, and then watching it now, it's like, I did not remember much about this, film at all like i'll be honest i'll be completely honest like for some reason i thought sarandon was the main character i i you know i didn't realize okay there's gonna be a private eye like i forgot all about that i thought okay it's just gonna be charles dexter ward and his story but Mm -hmm. i understand doing the story the way they do it it's like you know most lovecraft stories you have someone talking about something else that's going on you know um so like seeing him and then like you know seeing it again going okay this is okay not not what i remembered and then seeing a lot of actors that i was familiar with um and being a you know like like um i think what is it robert romanis who plays um the main character's uh um you know co-worker the one that um you know works with the police a lot Mm, i knew him yeah, Lonnie. Yeah, from knew him from freaking uh, Fast Times at Richmond High as the asshole who impregnates <laughs> Elizabeth Shue. <laughs> sure, of course. Um, you know, so <laughs> that he got, So it's funny seeing him in a like a role that's not like that character, and um, and then John Terry playing the main role. Mm. I mean, hell, I mean, I knew him from Hawk the Slayer, which was a <laughs> crazy sword and sandals film from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the main character, Hawk, but also knew him from Lost. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, and. He has his like interesting voice that almost doesn't sound like it's coming from him. Yes, I, I was right. I kept wondering when I was watching the movie, like, is the sync off? This doesn't sound natural that he's no, this it, going. It's always guy. how he sounds. Yeah, he. It's just the way he sounds. It's weird. It's mm. it's always been almost unnerving, and it's like and again watching again, going, oh okay, this is not the way I'm thinking it's going. And then like, you know, funny enough, the cover for the Blu-ray. From Screen Factory makes it almost look like from beyond. Okay. Because it's because it's got like the split face of Chris Sarandon and, and then like this creature thing coming out of the the left side of his uh or technically his right side sure. of his uh, body. Mm. And looking at that and then seeing what how the movie unfolds, it's like 
okay, now I'm kind of remembering. And then remembering all the drama behind the scenes where Dan O'Bannon was pissed with the filmmaker, with the, the producers, because they took a lot of his touches within the film out. Being okay. the biggest thing, a lot of the humor. Like, yeah. they made it more serious, which, while I agree with, the film still has this weird dark sense of humor throughout. Mm-hmm. Like, it's there. I, I mean, I think you, you, you would agree with at least a bit of that. Like, there, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's, I think um, Dan O'Bannon being the only other film besides a short film from the 60s he directed was Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's firmly tongue-in-cheek, and it's funny while also being, like, scary and mm. you know, at some point. But it's a, a fun film. This one, much more dour, and who, like, a friend of mine joked when he heard we were doing this, he's like, oh... He's like, I like that film, but whoever made it, they must hate Providence, Rhode Island. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, watching it, he have it in the back of my head. I'm like, yeah, it seems like whoever, like the people who made this really hate this town, mm-hmm. which is funny because it's always miserable looking, like, you know, just raining all the time. And, like, you know, just, you know, people are just so, like, just bizarre. Like, you know, and then, and then you know, like, everyone hates the, the house, the, the ward house because, like, it smells like death. Which well, makes sense later on when we watch it, but you know. <laughs> yeah, well, and but also some of that ties into too. I, I think what you know, what O'Bannon was trying to do was sort of a a like a, a detective noir type of film, which yeah, you know, yeah. It, it makes sense that there's going to be that gloomy, downcast sort of uh, atmosphere. My my one pushback to that comment would be like, I know it's set in Providence, but this there's nothing distinctive about it. This could have been set no. in any city or around the world, kind of a thing. Um, and, and I actually kind of like that change because in the in the story, the novella, the the detective character is the family doctor, I believe. Um, and so it's like right. he, he's but, you know, it's still this idea of like these are two men of science, of observation, of discovery and having that as a detective story where it's like I've been hired for a job to dig into what is going on is a really clever change and a really clever way to get us into especially having like as the audience surrogate. We know as little about this Charles Dexter Ward guy as this detective does. So that's a good way to follow things down, um, down this like rabbit hole. The one, and I, I know, I know John Terry has been in a lot. The one, that, but for me, one of the, <laughs> the, the strikes from the get go is I think he's terrible in this movie. Like he's a, I, I don't, I, I can't say he's a bad actor, but like in this role, I think he is terrible. Um, he's, you know what? I know it's funny you say that because watching it again, Maybe maybe like sixty percent of the film, I would a hundred percent agree with you. Like that first sixty percent, I'm just like, oof. Like he <laughs> he's just like no emotion, which I guess is par for the course as a private eye. But still, mm-hmm. like this, no emotion almost. Like he's he's so a blank slate. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you know, and like nothing special. It, it to me, it's not until like they're in the catacombs and he starts to like realize this is real. This yeah. is like. Mm-hmm. Then he starts to get some light, like, you know, the life is brought out of him. But, yeah, for most of the film, I'm just like, oh, man, that's why maybe that's why I don't remember him being the star, you know, the main character of this film, like, technically, because it's all to me. It's a Chris Sarandon show. Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, but, and, yeah, I agree with that. though. Yeah, he's very lifeless for most of this film. <laughs> well, and, and that ties into, too, what, another thing that I that I thought about when it came to. You know the original reanimator when it came to mm-hmm. the unnameable mm-hmm. when it came to other lovecraftian adaptations we've discussed and this is that the the side character or or the antagonist or whatever is so much more interesting than our main character that it's hard for me 
to really care or get invested in whatever journey he's supposed to be going through. Because, yes, Chris Sarandon, love him as an actor. He doesn't have a ton of screen time, at least in the first half of, right. of this movie. It's, it's you know, only once once there's the discovery he's Charles Dexter Ward and there's that climactic scene with him. Um, but he is by far the most interesting. Um, yes. And and so we have this bland detective guy who can't seem to emote that I'm just like I don't I don't know <laughs> what is at stake for not just the world but like what's at stake for this guy and I'm not sure. Um, well, do do you think that's um, not a problem but like a a thing with Lovecraft stories in general? That... I think it's it's a good question because I think right. I think one of the things I was I was thinking about this this film is that it it, it is objectively I think one of the most faithful adaptations mm-hmm. that we've ever kind of covered. Um, yeah. Like beat for beat, even even you know starting out uh, in in an asylum where Charles Dexter Ward has seemingly escaped. That's how the story yeah. starts out. Um, right. You know the flashback to when the town rallied together to overthrow Joseph Kerwin and the the climactic battle in which a a reanimated Charles Dexter Ward kills joseph Kerr, and that that's all that's all in the story there wasn't a whole lot that was invented um for for that so it's like it is very faithful but i think in that but but with it looking at the film through that lens it also reveals elements that work better in a story than they do in a film mm-hmm. um and i'm thinking specifically of you know as the story is going along and we're starting to suspect there, there's something weird going on with with Charles Dexter Ward because like his demeanor has changed. He's he's been right. speaking in like a different weird intonation, and your imagination can kind of fill that in when you're reading a story. But when you when you hear a guy go from talking like Chris Sarandon to talking like Prince Humperdinck, it's like yes. okay, this doesn't this doesn't work very well. Like there's and also using arc, arcane language, it's like uh, okay, this this is not like as a listener or as a viewer, my my radar doesn't go off as like. Hmm. Interesting. What's going on? It's more of like, okay, this is not subtle. Um, and, right. and you know, yeah, but, you're like, who, who's the bad? Oh, he's bad now. So yeah. something up. Like something's up. But either he's been taken over, or we know. Yeah. Like as a viewer, it's it's so blatant. It's not like a surprise. Like oh, he's really Joseph Kerwin. Right. Like no shit. <laughs> well, and and I think even that twist works better in like the 1930s or 1940s when the story oh, came out, where it's like, oh, how shocking! And you know, you're fanning right. yourself to because you have the vapors. But these days, and even in the 1990s, it's sort of like, okay, I can kind of see that coming a mile away. But I'll also admit, I'm saying this as someone who knows what the story is. True, so would, would it would it have been surprising if I hadn't been aware of the story? Like, I'm not sure because all I have been is aware of the story. Um, well, well, remember, in the film, they, they try to, like, kind of throw you off a little bit by saying, because even his wife is like, that's not my husband. It's yeah. not speaking like him. But, you know, then we have the explanation. Well, the whole thing with people believing that they're uh, a resurrected version of someone from their past, be it they believe it themselves or someone has implanted it in their head. So, of course, as of, you know, I try to watch the film from not knowing the story and not knowing the twists and going, OK, if I'm watching this for the first time, oh, it must be Dr. Ash. Yeah. As the which, of course, is the through line for this film. And then when we find out that twist, it's like, OK, that's kind of weird, because then you watch it again. You know, you think to yourself, OK, every scene you see Dr. Ashen, you know, spoiler alert, it's actually Joseph Kerwin yeah. pretending mm-hmm. to be someone else, because having a twin would be kind of weird, you know, out of nowhere. Oh, uh, this is my uh, 
cousin who looks just like me. No, of course not. <laughs> yeah. Put a beard on and a hat and some glasses, nobody will recognize you. I guess you know. Yeah, and that and that was that was it, uh, like that that was kind of cool because I I'll, I mean yeah. I didn't I didn't reread the story before watching the movie so when Doctor Ash came in I was like oh so this is probably a some type of not corpse but something something that that Ward has called up from you know the essential salts if you will um right. and so that's why he disappears after a while because he was a corpse that decayed or got killed or what have you I mean we see later on in the film these like not even half formed things um. But he was a thing that, you know, couldn't hold it, itself together. So eventually, and then it's like, oh, no, no, oh, no, oh, no, that was Kerwin. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. cool. That's, that's That sort of makes sense. Um, I think that's a better twist in a weird way. Like, that's, like, more fun. Like, oh, he's he was there the whole time. Yes. Oh, crap. Mm. Okay. Which is, which is interesting, uh, but also I, I think a, another kind of um, a, a change that I don't love because <laughs> we don't really get to know enough about Charles Dexter Ward until it's Kerwin. Like we have right. maybe two scenes with Ward before before who we think is Ward is actually Kerwin, and I I believe we do spend more time with him in the story because I remember reading the story for the first time and just really kind of sympathizing for Ward and just thinking that he's kind of a tragic character in the sense of like yes he is the typical Lovecraftian guy where it's like dude you meddled where you should not have meddled, right. um but we we have we we spent enough time with him where we can develop like sign up kind of a sense of like. Like, I almost feel bad for him, like, oh, shit, this guy was, like, you know, his curiosity destroyed him, and we, we spend enough time with him lamenting and regretting what he did before it's too late, whereas this is sort of like we have a flashback of him mm -hmm. leaving a party real late because he needs to work on something, and then him sort of apologizing to his wife for being a dick, and then that's it, and then it's just yeah. Kerwin from then on. Yeah, and then another flashback later on when when he started to change was when he found the box, like the, the, the crate with yeah. all his, you know, past self, you know, whatever. But yeah, I, who knows? I mean, that, that could have been a lot of stuff that was edited out. Could be, you know, cause, because here's the thing with like flashback scenes and stuff in films when you re like, you know, watching as many films as, as I have and going, wait a second, you have a flashback scene where they're actually having dialogue, yeah. but you're really like not showing much of that dialogue. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of weird. It's almost, and, and a lot of it, like the whole, again, like you said earlier, like a like a detective noir type thing feel to it, where you have John Terry's, you know, just talking over a lot of stuff. Mm. I wonder if that was all done like after without Dan O'Bannon's approval, not even approval, but like without his even consent. Just like, oh, we're going to recut this and kind of make it more, quote unquote, streamlined. Yeah. Which, who knows? I mean... It's one of those things like you'll we'll probably never get a uh, like a Nightbreed esque cut of this film because it's just probably long cut you know long cut and destroyed. Sure, yeah, but yeah. But, it, but it's but it's a question like yeah, would we have gotten more with Charles Dexter Ward in in the film before he changes or or again did did um maybe the script wasn't like that at all and that's why Chris Sarandon was really excited because he could get to be crazy bad teeth you know evil guy from the 1700s yeah that wants to live forever you know because he does he does once once he's like fully joseph Kerwin, he is he's oh, having fun man. with it like he's he's a ham um and that's and yeah. that's that's fun uh I, I must admit that that is fun but it's just like yeah i i there's and now i fully admit so this was this was another one of those films where i found myself partway through kind of like 
checking my phone, not really paying full attention. So I don't know. I don't remember if the film hits on this, but I know in the story, the 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 grandiose existential threat is not just hey, Kerwin is back, and here is a method for bringing people back from their essential mm-hmm. salts and this idea of like you know overcoming death and so like you know all that sort of stuff is is the soul and all that kind of stuff is meaningless but also there was kind of a conspiracy of we're going to call up other things um to basically learn the wisdom of you know the smartest oh. people in the world to sort of like you know I don't, it's too simplistic to say conquer the world but there is a, a nefarious plot um that goes beyond just this small group of people and yeah. If the film didn't have that, then it's sort of like, okay, well, what's the, what's the, what's really the, what's really well, the problem? Not to say that that a guy dabbling in necromancy isn't a problem, but it's sort of like, <laughs> but outside of these people, like who who cares? Like, why am I invested in Kerwin coming back when it's just like, oh, well, I'm just gonna, I, I don't I don't know if what I'm saying um, makes sense at all. No, I know what you're saying. I, it's it's only like really to me it's slightly alluded to where it's not even alluded to like oh he's going to take over the world or be you know you know he's going to continue this forever you know quote unquote forever as long as he needs blood and raw meat he needs to feed and the thing with like the you know smart smart people like you know like um other occultists that have died he has all the urns mm-hmm. in yeah, his you know yeah, yeah. in his old laboratory that if you notice, like they even talked about earlier in the film, like all these different like magician people, people talked about as magicians and occultists that have been gone missing, like these, you know, their, their remains. And he has all the, which I think, you know, when they're in the catacombs and um, John March, you know, tries some of the liquid on a little bit of it with the, the brain, whatever that's on there. And it actually starts a lot, like start to grow right away into like a, like a former like like a hand or something mm. and that's when you know oh shit this shit's like real what the hell is this like stuff that it, dude, it doesn't explain what the fluid is it's just something it's like like the reanimator fluid it's like i don't know what it is but it's yeah yeah it's, it's, it, it works that's all that matters it works so yeah what what's the end goal i i don't even know like like <laughs> you know it just seems like he's just nefarious and he's gonna keep living his life as now charles dexter ward in his mind, like when he, you know, he wants to escape the asylum, but he he's playing the long game. Like he's, he knows mm-hmm. he looks crazy, but ultimately he's going to convince the main doctor at the asylum yeah. that he's okay to live. And then he's going to return home to his wife. And, but first I'm going to have my teeth fixed. Like he knows <laughs> yeah, yeah. he looks weird. So I was like, I'm going to have to become this new guy. And then who knows what he would do from beyond that. But, yeah, it's not really said, oh, you know, first this and then the world. But considering he's been, you know, doing this stuff since the 1700s and has come back, this is like his long game. He knew a descendant of his would come about. And then, hell, the film even kind of kind of gives you the whole idea, even though it ends abruptly. Mm. Um, you have that weird random scene when, oh, she has a mild concussion, but you know she was pregnant? Mm-hmm. And it's like never, you know, it's like towards the end of the film, but it's like, oh, his wife is pregnant, so he did impregnate her. Is this gonna continue? Is this like this, this, this new, this child when he, if it's a boy or a girl, whatever, 
is going to grow up and then somehow find his dad's. Because remember, the dad stuff, you know, well, there, there'll be something somewhere that'll be found out and will it continue? Right. We and, don't and, know. And that, that you know. ties into you had mentioned there was an ST Josie intro on, yes. on the on the Blu-ray that I thought was at least the things that he was talking about were, were interesting that I wasn't sure if it exists in the text of the movie. But the ideas that he talked about were were pretty engaging. Yeah, like about, you know, because he basically speaks about how, you know, Lovecraft himself was always obsessed with like his past and his ancestry and how he, you know, growing up, be, you know, being of money, but then his family losing all the money was always like a shameful thing. And how Providence was like his home, you know, like that. And talking about when he got married and moved to Brooklyn and how he hated it there because it was just too much. It was too lively for him. Mm-hmm. It was too much. Plus, I didn't know this. I didn't know this little tidbit about um, Lovecraft that even when he moved there, he got robbed. Like all his clothes got robbed from his apartment. Oh, no, I don't think I knew that so, either. So he like almost walked around like a beggar because he had like only like one set of clothes. Mm hmm. That he would have to wear like for weeks on end and then finally wash and then wear. I'm like, oh, my God. So you have that mindset. And then when going back to Providence and then writing more stories than he ever had and then loving the the architecture and, you know, all the stuff, all the same buildings from the 1700s. Mm-hmm. So seeing that lineage and that past and then tying himself into the character of Charles Dexter Ward and how. The past, you know, he was obsessed with the past that it almost overtakes you and like how it does to Charles Dexter Ward himself. His his own past actually does take him over mm. without knowing what it was going to be, because when he regrets it, that's when Joseph Kerwin just goes, OK, well, I'm you now like you're yeah, dead. It, it's too late once the regret comes in and sort of like, well, you can't go back this. Yeah. Um, and that and that is, that is a really cool idea. I, I'm not entirely convinced that the movie text supports that um the you know the the idea that i i brought out when james and i were talking about this off mic was that idea of like i can see joshi saying that as you know he loved the story to begin with so he kind of sees that in the film whereas you know like the equivalency i gave was like when uh les mis came out a few years ago the adaptation with anne hathaway and, and hugh jackman so many people that i know said that they loved it also had already seen and loved the musical. So it's like, well, do you, do you love the movie or do you just love seeing the musical in a different form now? Like those same songs and that kind of stuff. Are you looking for something to exist, whether it, it sort of is worthy of its own existence or not? Um, but I, I don't know. Once again, it's it's sort of like, um, you know, we can't tell because Joshi can't forget that that story exists, just like, you right. know... Um, just like I can't say, like, uh, would this would the twist have been su- surprising if I didn't know it already? Because I I did know it already. So it's <laughs> it's those two things. The the one thing I, I I will say that I thought was an interesting element that was introduced late in the movie that would have been I think would have been cool if the story focused around this element was when they're when um, the detective and Kerwin are squaring off kind of in the asylum at the end. And Kerwin mm-hmm. says something to the effect of, like, you know, are are you really going to tell everyone that I'm actually the resurrected form of Jason, Joseph Kerwin and right. I'm over 200 years old? And there's a truth there. It's like, yeah, what? how, how is he going to convince anyone that this guy is, is actually this ancient person? Because, like, then people are, are going to think he's as crazy as Kerwin. And I, I think it would have been cool if the film instead focused on this idea of, 
um, once Kerwin takes over and how he is kind of deteriorating the, the, the ward name or changing things to such an extent. And our main characters know that it's Kerwin. The challenge then becomes like, we have to convince the, the world around it. But like, how do we do that? Like that idea of, of the cursed knowledge of like, how, how in the world are we supposed to let everyone know, Hey, this is actually a 200 year old, you know, corpse that's been resurrected. Like that, that sounds so crazy. Right. So, how can the world, like, how can we possibly let the world know about this threat when saying it sounds as crazy as reality actually is kind of a thing? Um, yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, like, like while while I'm a fan of the film, like, I, I, I think the scene in the padded cell with, with Kerwin and March is, like, the best scene because, again, it's where I feel John Terry, like, is fully, like, more fleshed out now. Like, he's... He's like feels like he has his comeuppance mm. on Kerwin. Like, well, I know who you are. You yeah. Don't have to Basically, he's like, you don't have to bullshit me here. And he takes out. I love the suitcase with all the bones of Charles Dexter Ward. <laughs> yeah, just open, flops them on the ground. Yeah, which for some reason he just keeps. Like he kept. It <laughs> is. Yeah. And what I love about that is like, okay, what's he gonna do with that? But, um, but then like again, it's a duel of like minds where it's like Kerwin's like again, like you said, the great scene where he's like, who's gonna believe you? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just I'm just gonna play like again. I'm gonna play the long game. I'm gonna convince everyone that I'm okay now, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna leave, and then I'm gonna pay a visit to my wife with, with my new teeth I'll get. But then, but and again, talking about the hunger for knowledge is there, but his hunger for like actual food is worse. Yeah, and that's actually really creepy. And then when the orderly, which I believe is Todd Masters, comes in <laughs> yes. and gets his head ripped it's off, head like this. So easily, which I love. I love that. Like, it, that it's would never happen. Yeah, know? it's also weird because, like, he comes in and instead of, like, oh, my God, an emergency, these two guys are right. Hey, like, he's you. kind of like, hey, what's going on? Like, uh, hey, against the wall, please. Yeah, a, little, a little more urgency here. Um, and it, it's similar to it, when they're in the catacombs and there, there's that thing which is coming towards him and, like, the oh, light yeah. has burnt out. So they're, they're just kind of, like, casually communicating, like, hey, where are you? Are you, I'm over here. And it's like, um, there's something coming to eat you guys. How are yeah. you not more, has there not more urgency in your voices right which, now? Which is, no, it's funny you say that because while I really like the, the, the aesthetic of that scene of like, you don't know where this thing is. Mm-hmm. And then you just like the, the, the lantern's broken, the flashlight doesn't work and they only have matches. But yeah, it's like almost like, okay, this fucking like hell beast, that mutated hell beast is right in front of you. Just, fucking run like it doesn't matter just feel the wall and like go no let's where is he oh he's right there and then oops i fell into a hole i'm dead now and then then it's like funny because then you're like oh wait that's a different hell beast down there where and then all of a sudden it's like hey surprise i'm here right behind you oh shit (laughs) (laughs) like like it's almost like comical which again i wonder if that was intentional to make it almost like funny which i don't know why well, but yeah, and Abandon has a weird sense of humor. And, and, well, so. and that, and, and that, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about this idea that there was a bunch of dark comedy that was cut out of it because I don't know if it, uh, if that is really organic or fits with this story. Um, right. The, some right. there's some elements of it that still stick around. Like I, I, I got a real kick out of the line of like, you know, Lonnie allegedly like quit smoking, and so then when they're both in the car and Lonnie lights up a cigarette, and the detective is like. When did you when did you pick oh, smoking back up? He's like right when I quit. quit. Yeah, yes. he's like oh, that's okay. That's pretty good. I like that. Well, 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 also while holding plastic explosives though. <laughs> right, that's true. Which actually made me laugh harder because I'm like, dude, you could just fucking blow up any second. Yeah. Okay. 
whatever. But yeah, I, I, that's again like little things like that. That again reminds me of like like a noir. Like there is like these weird little humorous things with the private eye and his like his you know his I guess you call entourage his like secretary mm. and like you know it's like I got almost like in a weird in a weird alternate like universe I got almost wish there was like a series but again John Terry would have to be more lively in this but about this detective who like deals with weird shit weird cases like that you mm. know like like a Philip Marlowe but like oh like almost like uh you know like like some stuff we've covered before um right, but yeah. yeah but yeah i don't know it again while i like the film and it's it's very faithful i think of it more like uh it's not like i don't know again when we talk about our favorite adaptations like even myself while i really like this film and it'd probably be in my maybe like top 20 it would be like lower mm. top 20 you know what i mean there's a lot more that i while might not might not be the most faithful, are much more of the I don't know I guess you say the the aesthetic or the mindset of Lovecraft. But again, you know that's always my thing with a lot of these main characters. I think that's the problem with like Lovecraft story. His main his his like narrators main characters aren't interesting. It's it's the people they're talking about that are like oh that's yeah. the excitement right there. Like I want I want the villain is like the cool person because. That's the one you're actually interested in. Yeah, you know? I mean, which is a, a horror thing too. I mean, how? Oh yeah, Jason Voorhees is a lot more interesting yes. than the people he kills. Freddy yeah, Krueger. Freddy Krueger is yeah much more. You know, Michael Myers. Oh, he's creepy. Like, what's his deal? You know, mm. you know, Letterface is more interesting than the people he kills yeah. usually. You know? Um, but uh, but um, and and I think that again, a a device which is revealed to kind of work better in 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 literature than in movies. This idea of a lot of Lovecraft stories are. Because, you know, this one starts out where it's like, oh, Charles Ward escaped, so let me tell you what I, you know, how I found out about this. And so, and then, so even though we're kind of like the entire story itself is sort of flashing back, and there's a moment when they, they find out about Kerwin back in like the, you know, hundreds of years ago, it's a flashback within a flashback. It works better yes. on text than when you see, when you see a bunch of people you know especially in a, like reading a diary and like, and just flashing back in an, ex in an extensive flashback of here's what's happened in the past, That that's not it's not interesting. It doesn't drive a movie along. Um, it, it's it's kind of a lazy, in my opinion, when it comes to a film, it's a lazy way to 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 reveal exposition um, that that works a bit better in in literature because you don't have the same progressive and momentum that a film is supposed to have. Um, and and so that I had a, I, a quarrel with that, and and I guess ultimately um, the. It's not even the climax, but that scene when they when they go when uh the dude Lonnie and the woman it's funny that I, that Lonnie is the only character name I can remember, um but that when they are in the catacombs and they're underneath you know um Kerwin's house that's really another instance where directly adapting the text text really hurts the film because we spend like twenty minutes down there and there's some awesome practical effects. This film does have some awesome practical effects. I have to admit that. But the, the, like once once they're in the house, it's sort of like once the similar to the unnameable. Once they get into that house, like we just spend a whole lot of time in here, and the film just slows down to explore. The film isn't necessarily moving forward. We're just kind of like we're doing what we have to do because that's what's in the text to discover X, Y, and Z. But 
it just it slows down and it gets really bogged down uh, in pacing in that at that moment, which I thought was like there's some good things in there. Practical effects are incredible. Um, that mm-hmm. thing they find in the pit, even that thing that washes up on like uh, once, oh yeah, you know, but uh, but then it's also like, come on, guys, like we let's let's move along here. Like I understand you know what you're doing, but can you do it a little bit quicker, please? Yeah, I mean, yeah, again, it's like. You could have easily cut like twenty minutes out of this film. Oh sure, like, it, it's it's a it's a lengthy film. When I, when I that's another thing. Usually a film like this, an hour and a half is like to me what you should kind of strive for, and it's like hour and forty five. It's like, hmm, did you need all that stuff? But and again, like I agree with the flashback within a flashback, and what? But again, that the that scene with the flashback of the you know the seventeen hundreds ends again with a great Lonnie line going, wait, that's it? Like where's the end of the story? Mm-hmm. like what happened like like why is it end there like because it's true it's like ezra's you know diary he just talks about all this stuff and then you don't even know what happens to joseph kerman it's mm-hmm. like wait did they kill him did they burn him then we find out later what happened but it's like why why was the, the diary just stopped yeah there it's very mm-hmm. odd it was a it was a weird place to end it yeah um, yeah it's like uh dude uh storytelling come on yeah cause, and it's because it's not as though you know Kerwin discovered the diary or in that moment because like after that like the good guys allegedly won there so you'd figure the diary could keep right. going um yeah it, it's it's a bit um I don't know after seeing after seeing so many lists like naming this as one of the best adaptations I guess there was I had a whole lot of expectation behind it and there is some cool stuff and, and especially I like Dan O'Bannon I like Return of the Living yeah. Dead I, I liked you know he didn't direct it but like bleeders or hemoglobin or whatever you want to call it like i really like that movie a lot more than people did so like i I, he is capable of doing some very good stuff just this one was very kind of like rote and 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 you know um to its detriment like uh being a a pretty faithful adaptation there wasn't as much imagination with it and um Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah did give us some some pretty cool um practical effects uh, I, but i you know i have to say i'm i'm glad i didn't blind buy it because i probably would have like eh, well that's it <laughs> although it does seem like they they have some pretty cool supplements as you've been describing yeah yeah there's hours of supplements so it's like it kind of you know and again this is a film i'll probably rewatch mm. like again like with some people like just to show them like again people looking for you know lovecraft adaptations that aren't direct <laughs> i would you know this is one i would suggest like okay this, especially like chris sarandon fans like it's to me it's like a not a forgotten, but again, like a cult cult favorite Chris Sarandon role. So like, oh, you like Fright Night? Here, have some more fun with Sarandon playing a more <laughs> yeah. de- like devious and like despicable character, even than his his Fright Night. Um, but yeah, again, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it, but yeah, it's not it's not top tier Lovecraft. But I mean, some people think it is, so everyone has an opinion. What if? Yes. Kerwin is actually <laughs> Prince Humperdinck, who fled right. from whatever country he was in to America to reinvent himself, yeah. got into necromancy, um, and then, so basically at the, you know, so Charles Dexter Ward discovers his ancestors actually Prince Humperdinck. So he's looking for his new buttercup. <laughs> yeah. And, after hundreds of years, you know. <laughs> and he's so terrified of, of, like, of Wesley's declaration of, like, to the pain that he's like, listen, if, if something horrible happens to me if i if i die if i become mutilated how can i overcome that so he digs into yeah. necromancy um makes sense though yeah now yeah. now he now he can battle 
Wesley if he really wanted to. Yeah, so I, I like I like this where H.P. Lovecraft and the Princess Bride exist in the same universe. <laughs> I, you know what's funny? I'm surprised nobody's ever done that. I think I think we try to get a, a commission down the line of a, <laughs> a like a like a poster with a Princess Bride like Humperdinck, and it's just like a origin story of Humperdinck after <laughs> you know. You know? the, the shrieking eels are actually kind of like Cthulhu spawn. Um, there you go. This is this. You know, this could this could potentially work. The, the, yeah, the rats of unusual size are just other experiments of his. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're yeah. yeah, they're actually like um um shoggoths or something of this era. No, this is there's something there's something there. I think. I think we wrap it up. Yeah. So so that's that's uh the resurrected. Um, once again, um, we we want to uh, push the fact that we are uh, we have recently launched our Patreon, patreon.com slash Cthulhu. $5 Innsmouth Residence uh, is the lowest tier. The $10 Cthulhu Cultist and the $20 Yogg Sothoth Gatekeeper. Um, anything that you can contribute would be great, even if there's only one of you, two of you, three of you, we really appreciate um, being a part of this community and being able to share this podcast with y'all. Um, you can email us at moviesofmadness at gmail.com. Um, I am Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter. James is Fistful of Media, and we are um, Cthulhu Cast on Twitter as well, and you can find us on Facebook at Cast Cthulhu. Uh, I may have swapped those two around. We might be Cthulhu Cast. Uh, you know, either way, if you do Cast Cthulhu or Cthulhu Cast, you're you're yeah. gonna you're gonna find um, you're gonna find us uh, one way or another. Um, next episode we've got coming up. Um, I've already talked about it uh, when I announced on Facebook what our delay and plans were for August. But Stephen Foxworthy, who is one of the co-hosts of the Disenfranchised podcast, will be joining us to talk about. The Lighthouse. And James, I know that as a few months ago, you still hadn't seen The Lighthouse. Have you still not seen it, or have you caught up now? No, I have not caught up. I have the Blu-ray, okay. so I have it ready, so I'm excited, especially with all the artwork and memes that I've seen over the years, <laughs> or the year and a half, or whatever it's, since it's been out. So, yeah. I'm excited. Plus, I'm, I'm, you know, while I'm a big Willem Dafoe fan, I'm also a big Robert Pattinson fan. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, uh, Robert Eggers, um, The Lighthouse, who yeah. obviously he also did The Witch, um the lighthouse is great it's one of the most physically uncomfortable like experiences (laughs) i've ever had in the movie theater like i was like sitting there it it it, it, that and uncut gems came out the same year which is like you've got to be fucking kidding me with this um (laughs) yes yeah again again it's funny because you have like these unnerving movies and by by filmmakers that know how to make you unnerved you know which is Mm -hmm. exciting for movies nowadays that that's not not easy now yeah, in, in today's society. But it, it was it was just like it was great, but it was also like as soon as the movie is done, I'm like, get me out of here! Like I need <laughs> I need wide open space, and I need to like to breathe air and to interact with people and to. Uh, but no, it, it's it's really it's really good. But the, the disenfranchised podcast is a cool little podcast where it's basically they 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 review movies that were supposed to start franchises and never did for one reason or another, whether it was lack of critical acclaim or box office success. So, for instance, if you wanted to. To listen to an episode about the Jean-Claude Van Damme Street Fighter movie, they've got one for you. So I think they just did one on Masters of the Universe, too, I believe. I, yes, I, bl- I believe they did. Um, but yeah. it's, a, it's a really cool concept for a podcast, so we're, we're, we're glad to have him join. And um, coincidentally, it will not be out by the time this episode comes out, but I will also be joining them to talk about uh, <laughs> National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1. Um, nice. Yeah, which, nice. which is a, a, a parody film that I enjoy a lot more than I think most people do. 
Probably, but I saw that in the theater, so... I, did I did you really? Yes, I yes I did, yeah. As a kid, I did. <laughs> I think that might have been one of those uh, WPIX 11 Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon movies for me. Yeah, they played that a lot. That and I think Senior Trip was the other National Lampoon's <laughs> movie they always played. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but that one, if you haven't seen, stars Emilio Estevez and Samuel Jackson kind of spoofing buddy cop movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, Really, uh, really, really funny. Uh, although I, I haven't seen it in years. Maybe I'll watch it again and be like, Ugh, no, this doesn't hold up. But in my mind, it absolutely does. Yeah. Um, but that'll be next time. Yeah, Stephen Fox will be joining us to talk about The Lighthouse. Um, and keep in mind, once again, one final plug, patreon.com slash castcthulhu. So, um, yeah, I hope that you will um, join us next time. But in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 